All right. All right. Hi, guys. Welcome to another episode of Soberland. I am your host, Lindsay. And today's guest is my new friend, Nick Poopo. Hello. Poopo with an O or a poop with an O. Yeah, I mean, that's how I tell people so they pronounce it right. But it's uh, it's P-U-P-O. Poopo. Yeah, thanks. but poop with an O. Thanks for being here, Nick. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. How's your um, Coachella week one going? Oh, it's um, it's great. I don't know what it is. Um, and I'm really happy to be a part of it. <laughs> You're not interested in anyone playing this year? No, I, I you know, I, no. I, I'm never, I never am. I don't know whoever is playing. Um, I, isn't Coachella, like, it's here. I mean, it's in the the desert. Right. Kind of where Palm Springs and Joshua Tree are. Sure. Uh, and that's really cool that people love it, but I... I, I've never known who was playing, except for, like, Beyonce, right? She's done She's it. She's there every year for some right. reason. Right. <laughs> so I think that that's the only person that I know is there that does it. Yeah. I want to be into it. I would love to be into something like Coachella, but it has, uh, there's no, I have no interest. Yeah. I it's one of those things that I want to do once just to see and experience it, mm -hmm. but it's like four or $500, yeah. I think, so that's not really worth it. I yeah. think it's mostly just an excuse for like rich kids to hang out with celebrities because all the celebrities go there. Oh, do they get to hang out with them? Is I that mean, part of the like deal? I mean, they're just in the crowd watching the like concert and the music. And oh, okay. You're like among gods. Oh, right. Because celebrities are gods. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> we all know. agree. Yeah. I um. Yeah, I don't know. I. I don't know. I. I, just, I when people talk about music festivals. Uh, and how cool they are. It makes me feel like, it makes me question if I'm just like a, a boring person, you know? I'm mm -hmm. like, should I want to go to those things? I've no. never wanted to. No. I've gone to music festivals, but not like, it's never been like a goal of mine to go to Coachella or like Burning Man or whatever. Is Burning Man a music festival? I don't think so. I don't even know. I think it's just like orgies and art. Oh, well, then I'm going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, is there less traffic right now this weekend because of Coachella? I haven't been outside of my house. Oh. Uh, Does it seem like more peaceful out there in L.A.? How long has it been going on? Uh, yesterday. Uh, <laughs> no. L.A. is always, the traffic is always nuts. Okay. So Let's maybe, see. maybe though. Who knows? All right. Well, cool. Um, it wasn't like the streets were empty. Right. <laughs> right. It's like tumbleweeds. Yeah. That would yeah, be cool. Then I would like Coachella. Yeah, for the opposite reason. So um, <clears throat> I don't really know you that well. No, we don't know each other at all. Like at all. But you're in my house right now. Sure. I'm so sure that's part of doing a podcast, right? Please don't kill me. Oh, okay. Um, well, boy. <laughs> but we were introduced through a mutual friend. I know her. Let's call, let's call her out. Christina Bowers, because I know she listens. Yeah, let's call. We're calling <laughs> you out, Christina. <laughs> I mean, that was supposed to be like a nice shout out. <laughs> right. Like fuck you, call out. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I went to college with her and apparently know her as well. Uh-huh. And so she uh, connected us because we're both sober comedians living in uh, L.A. That's right. So she's like, you guys should be friends. Makes perfect sense. So we're forcing this friendship. Yeah, it's been tough so far. <laughs> Uh, but you are also from Florida, which is where I'm from, too. Yeah. So yeah. I'm surprised I haven't met you before. Right. Yeah, we thought maybe we'd seen each other. Yeah. 
Um, so you lived in Orlando. I did. Did you go to UCF? <coughs> no, I went to Valencia Community College. Oh, I went there for my first two years. Yeah, and that's what I, I was yeah. supposed to do. And, and then, then I was like, UCF. you know what, this is hard and I'm going to stop going to school. Oh. I just took off. Just pursue comedy. Yeah, the smart thing to do. And you also act. I act as well. Mm-hmm. What? Have you been in recently? Any I was Taco Bell commercials? Or I wish, actually. <laughs> I genuinely wish. Uh, that would be great money. But I am. Uh, I was in a show called Halt and Catch Fire on AMC for uh, uh, two seasons. Oh, nice. Uh-huh. That was my thing. That's um, awesome. Congratulations. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> I'm just going to take that. Because my immediate thought, and, you know, this is like, the uh, the alcoholic brain, or the addict brain, or however, whatever you want to call it. Immediately, when you say that, I'm like, "Congratulations!" It was four years ago. I, well, I I feel like yeah, I don't know what to say. Congrat, way to go. Yeah, well, that must have been nice, maybe. <laughs> oh, that must have been nice back then. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's great. It's it was a great experience and. Um, I have to learn to not sound like a bitter, struggling actor when people say, good job. Yeah, because you felt, you know, a little bit of how it feels like to have success. Yeah, I dipped my <coughs> toe in. Dipped your one toe. Um, and yeah, it was great. I, but yeah, it's, it's once you get on a show after doing almost zero work to uh, uh, get there. Mm -hmm. Like I was a stand up for four or five years and I wasn't pursuing acting. I had like taken acting classes and uh, I got on, on a few auditions and then that was my first self tape and I booked a show. And so I thought like, well now I did it yeah. and now I'm in and I don't have to worry about anything ever again. And uh, I was very wrong. Yeah. You anyway, see you later guys. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You should get into reality TV. I hear that's where it's at. Yeah, right. That's something fun. Something I can be proud of. <laughs> <laughs> True art. Okay. Um, a few episodes ago, I tried out this thing where I read some articles of Good News Network where it's just like positive news stories, which I'm very into because every time I watch the news, I'm like scared to go outside. So this is like some mm -hmm. positive stories. So I found like three that I really thought were important. The first one uh, is about the first ever image of a, of the black hole. That's oh, that's in the good news one, huh? Floating around. Yeah, that the I guess the black hole's going to suck us in yeah. and kill us. So that's I mean, good news. Uh, right. Yeah, it's like it is good news that we got a photo. Well, they end it with uh, <laughs> scientists are calling it a dream come true. So I guess for the scientists, it's good news. But Yeah, I, you know, I haven't read an article about it yet. So uh, Well, this one wasn't. I don't know Super. why it's a good thing. I think it's because it's a scientific uh, achievement. Yeah, I mean, scientists from all over the world like came together to. And to they were always happen. wondering, right? Yeah. Everyone, no one knew exactly what it. Except for Soundgarden, they knew. <laughs> yeah, right. Soundgarden, <laughs> always ahead of the curve. <laughs> With black hole sun. Um, so that's just something that I thought was cool. Oh, this story. That is cool. See how I can, but that's the thing is I can take a good news thing and try to turn it. Make it. And make it not that important or good at all. All right. Well, what about this one? Um, Twelve middle school boys are being hailed for talking a woman um, out of taking her own life. Mm. And I. How like many? Twelve. Twelve. <laughs> it took twelve. That's crazy. So I mean, I that's got to be that's e equal to like two adults. Well, probably. this story I actually read because it was interesting. 
Um, so these 12 young heroes, they were, they're on a boys volleyball team from Fresno, California, and they were jogging through the streets and saw a woman climb over the edge of a bridge. And, uh, had she let go, she would have fallen a hundred feet into the train tracks below. But luckily the boys took action. Uh, the team members ran to their coach yelling for him to call 911. And when he saw the woman hanging from the bridge, he told the boys to run back and do everything in their power to keep her from jumping. That's a lot of responsibility on some middle school boys. Um, oh, and then I immediately he could have been like, "Why don't six of you go? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think the six of you stay here. This is, Wait, she doesn't need that many kids screaming at her." This is the uh, this is what the the direction the coach gave them. He said, "I immediately told the kids, do everything you can <laughs> so I got to keep it together." This he said, "Chant." <laughs> This is going to be good. <laughs> it's not going to be that good. I really built this up. Okay, good. The coach said, chant. <laughs> he says, chant, stop, your life is worth it. And they just kept on chanting. Uh, uh, so I just had a visual. That's a weird thing to <laughs> chant. I had a visual of these boys, just 12 of them chanting, stop, your life is worth it. Again, I feel like it could have been one kid. Or at the most, like, three kids. <laughs> I'm, I'm crying. Like, oh what God. was it about 12 <laughs> kids for her that was like, <laughs> like, if there was one or two less, she was like, I would have kept, I would have <laughs> not killed myself. Oh, my God. Upon hearing their compassionate chants, the woman finally crossed back over to safety just before the police arrived. So it worked. Their chanting worked. I mean, that's a great story. That's a great story. I don't know. I just... I visualize everything Stop. that I hear. Stop. Your <laughs> life is worth it. It's almost creepy. <laughs> oh my god, I need like a minute. How did they I want to I wonder what the rhythm was for their chanting. Stop. Your life is worth it. Stop. Your life is Stop. S T O P. Your life is worth it. Oh my god, I don't know why this is so funny. I mean, it is pretty funny. Okay. That's a LaCroix. It's not a water. For the listener, she is not drinking water. She's drinking pomplemousse. Okay, on to the next. Let me get my shit together. Oh, this is cool. If you're having trouble finding your soulmate, this tree in Germany could bring you love. And basically... Now, this one I already hate. (laughs) Why? Because, let's hear it. I want to hear it. I shouldn't be such an asshole. start off with, if you haven't felt the spark of love through online dating apps, which, like, who actually has had success with that? that? Is that, like, being (laughs) passive-aggressive? (laughs) <laughs> if no one loves you on the internet, then right. it might be time to you <laughs> for you to uh, sow your seeds in a better in better places. So basically, it's this tree in Germany mm. that uh, this whole like I guess story about how it brings love started in 1980 when this couple would pass notes to each other in the tree and they fell in love. They would pass notes to each <laughs> other in the tree. Oh, so like one would leave a note, yeah, and then I the other one would find. I still it. feel like broken down from that story before okay so um they treat the tree as like a mailbox where mm. people like deliver love le- letters and oh. their soulmates find them mm. so um the tree was given a postal address in 1927 and it receives like a thousand letters per year so people like mail letters to this tree and then just random people come and pick one up and then they like get married what <laughs> well, no there's more information than that they pick up a letter people from vi- a stranger people visit the tree read and take home letters that look interesting and become pen pals and even get married oh okay so they're communicating with the writer okay yeah. got it 
totally missed that. <laughs> I what I was picturing was random people submit letters to a tree. Another random stranger comes, picks it up, and then goes, huh. And then they marry the person that they're, like, standing next to or something. No. I am dumb. Like, if you were to mail a letter from here in California to this tree in Germany, some woman could see it and be like, Nick Pupo. Well, that's, see, now that's and sweet. be like, he sounds interesting. And then read the letter, and then you guys, you know, get married. But, but imagine, how m- imagine, like, sending a letter there. And then not getting a response. And then being like, what about me? I can't even find love in a tree that finds love. Like A magical tree I can't even Well, yeah, what I didn't like about the article title was that I was, I was going to be really annoyed if it was just like, if you go to this tree, then you find love by the energy of the tree. Oh, no, no. There's actually like some logic to it. But even the, there's been the same mailman for 30 years, and um, he found love through the tree. That's even. so funny. That I love that. I love that detail. He said, if you're skeptical, skeptical about the tree's ability to call in Lady Luck, that's fine. Oh, wait. Oh, yeah. But you should know that the mailman is now happily married to a woman who sent him a letter through the tree after she saw him on an interview on TV. Wow. So she actually was, like, looking specifically for the mailman, but... That's great. Whew. I love that detail a lot. About the mailman? Yes. Does he is he still the mailman? I don't He's got to be. I mean, he's probably it's not like he made a bunch of money because maybe unless she was famous and rich. What if she wanted him to move to like Arkansas and he was like but I'm the mailman. Um let's get into your story. Okay. Um if you're ready. Sure. Uh so you are are sober and you go to AA. How long have you been sober for? Uh, <coughs> probably about a year and seven months. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's nice. Congratulations. Thank you. When did you start drinking, using whatever it is that you like to do? Um, I think I was thirteen. Damn, that's young. Yeah, you know what I find though is a lot of people, uh, in in meetings and stuff, <coughs> started around 13. For some reason, it's 13 is the magical age. I think it's because, you know, there's like puberty and things start to, you know, become difficult socially. I think that, like, middle school <coughs> is a horrible, horrible place. Uh, and I think around sixth and seventh and eighth grade is, is, is when it becomes... Um, uh, difficult to just like function in society. It's like the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I remember I was like, I was a, I have ADD and I was really a bad student, um, disruptive and just could not concentrate and on Adderall and Ridlin for a while. I was on all sorts of stuff. Mm. Um, but by, I think it was sixth, seventh, no, eighth grade, eighth grade. Uh, a friend of mine said it was 420 and he was like, hey, come celebrate with me. <laughs> and celebrate. yeah, <laughs> cute little thing. He said he's he was a dirtbag, but he's actually a pilot now. Anyways, look, so I smoked pot with him and then that was the first thing I did. And then it was like I fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. I smoked it all the time and I started drinking. How and does a 13 uh, year old get alcohol? Oh, you know, all sorts of ways. 
either older friends steal from your parents um a lot of waiting outside of liquor stores and asking people to get it oh, for you right which a lot of people and good on them were like no and oh we stole too we stole a lot mm-hmm. like um he and i would go into 7-elevens and and I, I got really good at stealing when i was a kid at a very young age you never got caught <coughs> uh i did when i was 18 i was trying to steal my friends and i were making mushrooms so we went to a um this is skipping ahead but whatever uh we went to a walmart to buy a pressure cooker because we were doing it like where you like have to sanitize all the the grains in mason jars and you have mm-hmm. to do that by boiling them um so we went to get this big pressure cooker from walmart and we had already been stealing stuff from the walmart by my house for like months so we went to this one on colonial in florida and uh we walked out and uh secret shop- shopper just stepped in front of us and was like go go back into that room and then we went to jail for like I don't know, like 10 hours. Walmart jail or real jail? Real life jail. Kay. County jail. I actually went to the jail in Orlando, too. Nice. So, yeah. Maybe I that's where we met. <laughs> 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 What's that called in the room where before they put you in the cell? I don't know. Uh, it's like the big room. Right. Where they check you in and yeah, it's everybody. It's like you and like a bunch of homeless it's people. brutal. Yeah. Hanging out there. It's Maybe so we saw bad. each other there. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, we kind of skipped. So you thir- went from 13 to 18, but did anything significant happen in there or just kind of like progressively? Oh, okay. Yeah. But uh, I mean, I 13 and and 13 was when, it, you know, it was pot. And then it was like I had this friend who I smoked pot with for the first time. And he was the guy that I ended up doing a lot of the, of the stuff for the first time with because uh, he was always trying to get the next thing. Um. So with him, I tried ecstasy. Um, I tried various pills. Nothing really specific that I can remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and cocaine, uh, crack once. Like during that time, it sounds like were drugs your preference over alcohol. Yeah. Well, I think like alcohol for me was always there. It was always a constant. Mm-hmm. But I always liked drugs more um, because it was they were easier, I've thought. I thought drinking required so much. And like it required like to to drink a mm-hmm. lot, like to physically drink a bunch of time. stuff. It takes more time. It's yeah. like You're, I know a lot of people like they like can't they just like throw up sometimes if they drink too much. And I throw you up. Of, you lose like the whole you know, benefit of it. Yeah, well, I would throw up all the time. Um, but I just liked pills. and so I just liked stuff where I was like, I, this will be one thing that I have to do. And, and I'm, f- I'm I'm really high now. Yeah. You know? I understand that. Mm-hmm. What next? What happened? Well, what was that? So I smoked crack when I was 13. Oh, my gosh. You were 13? 13, 14, yeah. So all those drugs you named when you were at the beginning. All in the beginning, yeah. So then what happened? Did it get worse? Oh, yeah. For sure. Um, I think, well, it's interesting because, like, I took, what was 14? So ninth grade, then into 10th grade. I think it's from around, after I started hanging out with that kid, I kind of, like, slowed down a little bit in terms of, like, hard, hard drugs. Mm -hmm. So, like, 15, 
15, 16, 17. Once I got into the 10th grade, I stopped hanging out with that kid. And I started hanging out with new people who were like, why do you hang out with that guy? Uh, and I was like, yeah, I guess that's a good point. Anyways, those years are behind me. You know, like I stopped doing that stuff. I told my best friend who was doesn't do drugs, really only smoked pot a few times in his life. Uh, and we promised at one point that we would never do drugs. And then I did all those drugs when I was 13 or 14. And I, like, confessed all those things to him when I was, like, 17. I was like, I'm so sorry I did all these things. And it was, like, this big moment where I was like, that's all this stuff. It's in the past. You know, I did all that stuff. And it's, that's the old me, you know. And then. Wait, how old were you then? 17, 17 when I told him oh, that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and um, and then when I was, like, 18, and I was, and all this time I was still drinking and smoking pot, you know. And some nights I would get so blackout or whatever, and you know, but I and then you know I would smoke pot on a regular basis or whatever. But then, uh, by the time I got when I was eighteen, I was in a band with some friends and um, started like doing more hallucinogens and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of acid and mushrooms and all that. And then I took uh, like w I started taking morphine pills. Um, and various opiates, and then my friend and my two friends started like shooting it into their uh, muscles, intramuscular, uh, you know, ingestion, whatever you call that. And then I started doing that with them, and then they started shooting it intravenously, and I was like, "Well, I want to try that." And then I started doing that with them. Mm. Uh, that was like eighteen, nineteen. And then that went until I was about 20. And I was, like, seeing this girl at the time. And she was, like, really, really upset about it. You know, she would get really sad. And I remember one night she, like, really sobbed about it. And I was like, oh, man, I should really stop. And then I, like, the next day I went and did it. And then... For like one final, <laughs> yeah, not even consciously mm. as like the final time. I just went and I did it, uh, and then I it just didn't feel the same, and so I was like, I think I'm gonna stop, and so I stopped, which I don't know why or how I did. Um, AA would probably tell you that that's your higher power. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I just stopped. But I didn't get sober. But you're still drinking and smoking pot, right? Okay, so that's like was always the consistent in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so, um, did that ever get out of control or? The drinking. Bad? The drink. The smoking pot became like an. I don't. I never got. I, don't, I didn't understand how you could get out of control with pot. I think that pot. I think out of control with pot is just every day, all day. Mm-hmm. To me, that's out of control. Even though you are in control of certain things, it's not like it's a life-ending drug, you know. Usually, yeah. but uh, well, yeah, I was twenty. I I did stand up in Florida for about five years. Within that period, around twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, I was I was smoking pot all the time, uh, all the time. And how did that impact like your writing process with stand up? Oh, I didn't really write. Mm. I mean, when I was like, I think my first year of comedy, I wrote a lot and I um, and then I started smoking a lot of pot. And it was like I, w I went out every night to do comedy. 
You just were doing the same jokes over and over because you no, were like, no. No, I know. I had a. I hear. I, I don't give myself enough credit. I did write, but I physically it was always hard for me to sit down and physically write. But I would. But it was hard for me to physically write stand up, like to write it down. Mm. So I would write. I would stream of consciousness do a lot of stuff, uh, and I always I started writing when I was like fifteen, like songs and stuff. So I was always into writing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it uh, yeah I don't know the pot I think yeah of course it affects it affects your writing for some people it doesn't you know it makes them better somehow I maybe I don't I don't buy it but who knows uh, but I yeah I I that always has been confusing because for me I write best and do everything best when I'm completely clear minded like no substance in me like, like same thing i would never w- like be able to sit down and write with stand up and i could never understand how people were able to do that yeah and i f- kind of wonder if those people that say that that it helps if they're, they're just bullshitting because they don't want to stop or give it up so they're just like it helps me to sit down no to like to do to write under the influence of like oh yeah, yeah alcohol right. or i think pot. that's stupid I think it's dumb. I don't know. I've but I mean, whatever that. works for them. Yeah. I find that most comedians, most comedians that like say that their pot helps them write, I find most of their stuff to not be all that interesting. Mm. Uh, but then there's also really good and really funny comedians who smoke pot constantly. Um, so so it's it just depends. I it guess. just depends. Maybe the people who are talking about how, but then a lot of people who I know stop smoking weed, and then their writing just gets becomes like it's like tenfold. It's so much better. Uh, hmm. And people who get sober, uh, you just I don't know. But it's it's yeah, everybody's different. I don't know. I am like, I don't I, I feel like I'm unreasonably anti-pot sometimes, and. I, I think I was talking to a friend about it last night about how, you know, when you don't like something about somebody, a lot of times it's you projecting things on them about yourself. Right. You know, so it's like I um, I think that that's like when I see people that smoke a lot of pot or they drink all the time or something, I'm projecting that part of myself that I was or sometimes kind of wish I was still. Like mm-hmm. I wish that I could get fucked up. Um but I can't. And I but I also like weed made me weed turned on me. And I think that a lot of people have had this experience where I smoked pot all the time for a long time. And then I kind of like stopped and then went back. And when I went back after my tolerance was up, I would have like this is the mental health thing. This is the aspect of that. Like I'm just not well mentally all the time. So when I would smoke pot it would heighten all of the bad stuff, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. all of the insecurities and fears would become real rather than just made up in my mind. So they'd f- like suddenly I would spiral into this like black hole of just like self-loathing, you know, and it would be so intense. And I'd think like I'm the worst thing on the planet. Nobody likes me. I'm a fraud. And that's the kind of kinds of thoughts I would be having when everyone's just like sitting around Playing video games, smoking pot, you yeah. know? Suddenly I'd be like, I'm the worst. So then what brought you back to it over and over again? I think it was always... Like a habit? just. Well, I think it was um, feeling like reality was, was also difficult. Mm. 
so I was like, what can I do to alter this? Right. And it was like pot was good for a long time. And sometimes it's still really good. A lot of times it sends me into um, just like this like flurry of, of self-effacement and, and just like really negative self-talk, just like the worst kind of self-talk. Yeah. I used to like, I wanted to write a joke about this for a while, but I never figured out how to make it funny. But like, uh, how like it was like pot was like a reset button on my of all of the self confidence that I had built up. So I'd have like I'd be I'd be in a good place and I'd smoke pot and it would be like no nah, that's all out that's all mm. out the window now, um, and I'd be reminded of all these things about myself that weren't real, you know. But like, yeah, I had a really dark part of my mind that would show up when I would smoke pot and it would be like hey this is the real you. Yeah. Just so you know. Yeah. So you're escaping reality, which was the initial reason for doing it. But then in that, you're also being reminded of all of your insecurities and flaws. Yeah. Like but that. yeah, the pot made it feel like that was the reality. Yeah. And that I was living a lie, you know? Wow. I know. I know. Trust <laughs> me. Because a lot of people, uh, that's the thing is, that's what's so funny about that stark contrast of people who like just smoke pot and they're just like, Hey, and they play guitar and they like dance around a fire or whatever the yeah. hell. And and I'm just like, I am the worst piece of shit on the planet. I think a lot of people probably feel that way. They just don't bring that up. You know, when everyone's feeling good, you're not going to be like, hey, by the way, I'm really insecure about my hair. That would be hilarious. <laughs> that would be you so funny. Like, you don't. Yeah, you don't. Wanna <laughs> by the way, I know you guys are all having a great time at this party. By the way. I'm a fraud, and I hate myself. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. So where are we? How old are you on the story right now, where we're at? I think we were at 22 when I was smoking a lot of pot, 23. Okay. And then I met this girl. I fell deeply in love uh, at 23. But then I realized, like, as I was dating her, that because uh, she would bring it up, that, like, I was out every night doing stand-up, um, and I would come home a lot of the nights I would come home uh, drunk and at like two or three in the morning um, but like sh- I, I, at that point I didn't think that I don't even know if alcohol was really a, a, a an issue issue I don't know it was it, like I said it was always a constant like it is for a lot of people but um, we broke up at like 20 I think it was 24 coming on 25 maybe and then you know all this stuff that was horrible and uh, I was you know so sad about all of it mm-hmm. um, and then I got booked on I started meditating for like because uh, I was miserable right yeah and it was mis- I was miserable for about another year of not being with that girl Uh because we broke up, it was like one of those back and forth breakups. We just kept going back, and just like three times, I think we broke up. Mm. Like one was like, I can't do it anymore, and then the other one was like, you know, vice versa. But, um, and so yeah, I was finding, I was searching for all these ways to like better myself, you know. And so I started meditating. I went and did TM. I got like a coach, and I paid like four hundred dollars for like a student discount wow. <laughs> to like learn transcendental meditation. Um. And I did that, and I started doing it every day, twice a day for 20 minutes each time. Wow. 
uh, which a is lot. it's well, yeah, it is a lot, and it, but that's the way that TM is. Is that's the whole thing? It's twenty minutes twi- uh, each time, twice a day, um, and I did that for about three months. And I, I was and I was in acting classes, and I was like trying to become a better stand up, and I was doing the artist way. Do you know the artist yes, way? Yes, the book. Uh huh. I have that actually over there in my bag. My uh, therapist just gave it to me. Oh, good. And you I just started it. reading it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Have you started doing morning pages? Yeah, I was kind of doing that already. Good. So yeah, if you're not familiar, it's oh, this is all I know about it so far is that it's this book that's been around forever, and it encourages artists to spend how much time every day? Or uh, I think it's three pages, or uh, maybe it's it's around thirty minutes. The writing part of just like free flow form writing every day just to get your creative juices flowing. Yeah, and you're supposed to do it um, right when you wake up, before you do anything. And that's weird. But I always pee first. (laughs) Good, good. Because that could be distracting if you're just like, I got to pee, I got to pee. That would make you write write. faster, yeah. But it's weird because I started doing that anyways because I found that my writing kind of just came out of me more, like first thing in the morning. And then... My therapist gave me that book, and it said the same thing. And I was like, ah. So you started reading that book. I was doing that. I was meditating. I talked to the to the guru guy, <laughs> the, guru. <laughs> the instructor, and he said, like, oh, you know, I don't do anything. I just, like, I don't do any drugs or anything. I just meditate. And so I was like, I'm going to do that, you know. And I, I didn't really do any drugs, and I was meditating. And I was drinking, like, a little bit. Um. And then I got booked on this TV show, who my instructor like uh, attributed all of that to meditation. Mm-hmm. He was like, "See, it's what happens when people start meditating. Good things like this happen." I'm like, "Yeah, maybe. Maybe it was going to happen anyways. Maybe it's just good timing." Yeah. Uh, so I did that. I got booked on the show. I moved to um, Atlanta when I was in 2015. Um, oh, my parents live there. Maybe that's where we. <laughs> maybe. Uh, but well, I was—that's what this whole story is about. Is when did Nick and Lindsay meet? At some point, we met. Okay, sorry. Go on. What if we like went on a date? But we were both just blocked out, drunk, and we don't yeah. remember. Like, that's very possible. Um, I was in Atlanta, and and while I was on a, the show in Atlanta, I was really depressed. Um, and I would drive to set most mornings, and I'd be like. I don't like myself. <laughs> I stopped meditating. It, oh. it was because I was getting up at like five or four in the morning. And I meditated for a little while. And then I kind of stopped. Um, and then I was, and then I would go to bars afterwards by myself. And I would go to this place that had $7 old fashions. And I would drink old fashions by myself at the bar. Uh, so I, you know, I was sad, whatever. And then I, I moved to um, New York after that. I started doing stand up. Uh, there, I was still kind of sober because I was like working out a lot with my brother who moved in with me. Uh, you know, there's more details to this. I, I just don't want to take up too much time telling you like an hour and a half long story. Okay. Uh, we'll just touch on like the, you know, milestones, the big yeah. things. So I was in New York and then I went back to Atlanta for the second season of the show. Oh. The big thing about going back to Atlanta and being on the show was that it was pretty much everything that I dreamed of, and I was miserable. Um, I, 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 and that's just kind of how it's always been for me, is that I just, like, I'm on this show, I'm literally driving to set to be on this great TV show with all these great people, 
and like looking at myself in the rear view, just being like, you suck. Mm. Um, and that's always been there. Um, and so I did this the next season of that show. I moved back to New York. And then when I moved back to New York this time, I like went in and was in the Bronx, living in the Bronx. And um, yeah, I did. Uh, I, s- I, 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 the, uh, the drinking became a real issue again when I was, um, when I, s- I was like, uh, I don't know, it was like a, a year and a half. It was like, yeah, it was like a year and a half, two years ago before I got sober as I just was like in New York doing stand up, going through like a, a, a relationship that was really rocky for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was starting to, I was starting to drink a lot again by myself and I was starting to drink like I was drinking after work at bars in New York city at night alone, uh, to get like blackout. Yeah. And then I would pick up drinks at the bodega by my, uh, apartment on the way back. And then I started drinking at work um, during brunch, I would just like make my own drinks. You were working in a restaurant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I was working in a restaurant, um, and um, yeah, it started getting really bad. And then I started doing coke again. I started doing like nitrous uh, oxide whippets and stuff. Um, and then, and then uh, I did one night. One night, I did a bunch of coke. Uh, and I was seeing a therapist and I went into my therapist the next day and I was like, I want to kill myself. Um, and I don't know what to do. And I was like going through this breakup and it was like, I was just at the the most, like the lowest emotional bottom I think that I had been in. And like, I had a friend that passed away that year. Um, yeah. Or the year before. And it was from drugs. And, um, I was just like, yeah, I was just like in a horrible place mentally. Um, so she said, "Why don't you go to your first meeting? Just go, go like right after this session." Today meeting. Uh huh. Yeah. And then I texted my sober friend, and then I went, and then it ended up just being something. It was one of those moments where, you know, AA has this weird way of like being exactly what you need in that moment. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, it's just. My f- the I got they read the twelve and twelve. It was being passed around at the meeting. It was like a round robin style, uh, and I read from the book, and it was about suicide, mm. and I was just like I would started crying in a meeting, um, and that was it. I just like that was it. I just stayed. Wow. Yeah. Um, one thing that's like really sticks out to me in your story is like you have. Uh, quite a few like ups and downs where things got like there was a lot of drug use and then it wasn't that much and then there was a lot of drinking and then you were doing really good for a while like mm-hmm. meditating and you know and then you got really into like some drugs and drinking again and so like for me something that I've always struggled with is like the idea of giving up alcohol forever I've like I'm so like attached to the idea of just like a break mm-hmm. and that's really hard for me to let go of that and I think, you know, that kind of your story and my story kind of shows that, you know, we're not the kind of people where just like short amount, like short amount of time will like, you know, will really make an impact. It's like something that we have to give up completely because it will, even if we're doing okay for a short amount of time, it will eventually come back 
and sometimes be worse than before. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I think it's I think then that's a healthy enough way to to look at sobriety. I think like a lot of people need like the the one day at a time thing I think is huge because you don't need to come into AA thinking oh, I I'm never going to drink again. This is cuz because that's overwhelming. Yeah. Sure, yeah. It's a lot. So the one day at a time thing is really important. Right. Um so if you start thinking that way um then it's a, it's a, it's 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 so much easier and people will find after they're like like I have a friend right now who posted about it on Facebook the other day he was like he said the exact thing he was like never drinking again it was way too big of a mm-hmm. but he's like I've been sober now for 3 months and everything is better in my life and um and I don't know. I don't know if he's going to go back. But he might find by just doing one day at a time that he's that there's no reason for him to go back. You know? Yeah, I think that there's kind of three ways to look at this. Like the one that's overwhelming is like, I'm never going to drink again. Like that seems like daunting and impossible. And then there's the this is just a break. And then there's this I'm just going to stay sober for today. Right. You know, and I think the, mo- the more realistic approach is what, yeah, what you're saying is one day at a time to take it i um i was kind of sharing with you i so i i recently got into aa like a month or two ago and my sponsor asked me to do 90 and 90 and i got to day 30 and i like i was just really overwhelmed by like all the social anxiety that i had with it because i've always had really bad social anxiety but going to like a meeting every day you know a lot of times it was like an unfamiliar place Mm -hmm. meeting unfamiliar people having to like make small talk there comes like that pressure to make like this impression and then you also like share sometimes in front of like large groups of people and just it's emotionally draining it was for me and it was just a lot of energy expended Mm -hmm. and uh to the point where it was like i was leaving i remember leaving a couple meetings and like wanting to go drink because i was just so my anxiety was so like intense and that's when i was like i need to maybe this is too much i need to like let me take like a a few days, maybe even a week off, and then I'll I'll kind of reevaluate the situation. Maybe do like four or five a week, and uh, then I got sick and I I was been out for a week. So it's been like a total of over two weeks. I haven't been to a meeting, and I can I've noticed these thoughts kind of creeping into my mind. Where um, wouldn't it be nice to drink? And when I fantasize about drinking, I don't. It's not like oh, I can't like I want to go to the bar and drink tequila shots and get blackout drunk. I fantasize about normal drinking. Like, wouldn't it mm. be nice to, like, go drink a glass of wine at a restaurant with my friends, you right. know? And uh, that's been in my mind a lot lately. And that shows me I, I, need, I need to get back to a meeting. Yeah. But, yeah. So that's where I'm at with... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that's how a lot of drinkers uh, or alcoholics um, think about it. It's normal. It's, uh, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Be, I mean, it, 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 I feel like it's it's occasionally I hear in meetings where they're just like, I just want to go. This is for people who have been sober for a little while. For like newcomers, it's like, yeah, they just want to go out. They're like, I just want to get the fuck out of here. I want to go do whatever I want to do or I want to go get trashed or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's typically what I find to be the case. And then. For people who have like six months or a year, two years, three years, 10 years, 15, 20, whatever it is, 
it's always like, oh, I just want to go have like a Bloody Mary. Yeah. Or I just want to go have a glass of wine or whatever. I just want to smoke a joint. Um, it's just I just want to be a normal drinker. Right. But like. But that's and it's always I'm followed not. up with like. But I know if I do that, like I know what I know what's gonna happen. Yeah, it's gonna turn into like a bottle of wine, and then it's gonna turn into like liquor, and just like Mm -hmm. drinking. It's just gonna go back to how it was, and I know that because I've taken breaks for an extended amount of time, and you know it always it might be better for like a little bit at first, but it always ends up going back to where it was, you know. So I mean, I'm in a place where like I I I, and I talked to my sponsor about this too about how like I, I i still struggle with calling myself an alcoholic and I, I i like i do it at meetings but every time i'm like i just don't really don't really know if i believe that does it sound like too extreme or too I, well it sounds to me like i've always leaned more on the side of like i'm an addict oh i see uh but i go to aa all the time and i've gone to na and i um I've been to some NA meetings that I liked, but I, I always just like when I'm in AA, I'm like, this feels like my people. Like everybody is saying everything that I need to hear. Yeah. Um, and I think something that I kind of struggle with in AA is like when when I hear people say like the defining characteristics of like an alcoholic or like this is what an alcoholic is, is like. Even in the big book, they have, like, descriptions. Um, but I'm always like, yeah, I get, I, yeah, I guess that, like, I'm similar to you in that way. But I'm not, like, I'm not, like, like when, it, when I hear, like, once I had a drink, I could not stop. And maybe that was a thing for me at some point. But it was never, like, like that was not, like, a constant thing for me for drinking. Mm-hmm. For me, it was, like, a... Uh, it was just such a constant and it was something that I always leaned on when I didn't have anything else. Cause I always wanted to do more drugs intravenously. That was always like the thing that I wanted. Um, that's a s- strange, uh, it's an uncommon want for, well, not life. once you do it, it's, it's very, <laughs> it's very common. I mean, cause I never wanted to do it before. Yeah. But once I did do it, I was like, well, this is all I want ever. Like, this is the only... Because it was the feeling that was... it was There was no feeling like it ever in my life and up until this point. So, um, it's a horrible thing to do to yourself because once you try it... Um, I mean, at least for me and most of my other addict friends or alcoholic friends, whatever, it's like... Uh, once you they try that thing, it's 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 there. It's in your brain now forever. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It does so much to your mind all at once that um, it, it'll never really leave. You know. Oh, I see. So I think when I was drinking all the time, I was like, well, I mean, I wish this was heroin. You know. Oh. Uh, um, but it's not. And I knew like if I do heroin, I'm fucked. Yeah, I'm you, totally that was fucked. like super self-destructive. So you're like, let me try this less less self-destructive thing and try the same high. Yeah. And then yeah. I would, yeah, I would drink and black out and stuff. Now that you're sober, it's been like a year and a half and you're 29. Mm-hmm. How's that been? It's been good. I mean, the first year was really hard. When I got sober in New York, it was like, 
Uh, oh, I, yeah. I was going to ask you, how does uh, AA in New York compare to LA? Is there any difference? I like it better. In New York? Yeah. Why? Uh, I don't like all the clapping. <laughs> and I don't like that they call it birthdays. They don't do that in New York? No. See, I've only been to AA in LA, so I don't know. New York has, they definitely do have clapping, but it's not like, go around the room, uh, say that you're this, uh, you're an alcoholic, and then everybody clap or whatever. <laughs> and there's always, there also are a lot of different. I New York's like, we don't have time for clapping. Yeah. I mean, it's it, that is that is what it feels like, is that like... You know, time it's for all this bullshit. Let's just get to the less point. Bullshit. Yeah. It's less bullshit, and it's more like, you know, it's a little more somber tone to a lot of the meetings, but then also really cheerful and like inviting. And um, I just found, and I think it's probably probably just because I got sober there. Um, but I just found so many meetings that I was like, this is the best. It's the best thing. I think one thing that does bother me about meetings is like it is a little bit too like we do this and then we do this and then we clap and it's like a little bit too much of a production type thing. Right. And uh, but I think it does more good. You know, I can look past these stupid little things that are just like little pet peeves to see the good it does. But yeah, I feel like New York meetings sound like I would probably be like them more as well. Yeah, I just think they were. They're just better there. But also, like, there are 3,000 meetings a week in this city. Yeah. And um, I there's a lot that I have not seen. And I went to one last night with my friend that she brought me to. And first time I'd been there. And it was really cool. It was at a church. And it was... Um, well, they're always at churches. Or normal. I know. That doesn't... Yeah, that does not <laughs> narrow it down at <laughs> all. Um, <laughs> but it was... Uh, I don't know. It was like at eight o'clock, and it was it was cool. They just had like this light in the middle, like this this hanging ball. Oh, that's awesome! And it was like a really nice warm light. I love. I warm like when light. they're the lights are low or off. Yeah, I really love dim. Like, don't warm look at light. me. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> well, it feels like a weird uh, cultish. Thing. And then it sounds like you're in a good place right now. You're sober. You got the right sponsor. Yes. You're doing good. Happy yeah. ending. Right. It's good. That's good. Awesome. I think a happy ending is that you're sober, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, we can wrap this up, but I don't know if you uh, have listened to this bef- my s- podcast before, but I, I love to, I love reality TV. It's like my guilty pleasure. Mm-hmm. And so I, I tend to wrap up the podcast with some reality television talk to um, end on a lighter note. Um, so I'm curious, do you watch any re- uh, reality TV? If so, what's your favorite? Uh, no is the short answer, but... I mean, it doesn't have to be... Like, I watch the Bravo, like, dramas, but it could be, like, The Voice or right. Survivor. <laughs> I was just talking with someone about Survivor last night. I was always surprised. I'm surprised that it's still a show. I thought it was really one of those things that, like, was just going to be, like, you know, a f- some phenomenon. It's been on, like, my entire life. It's crazy. So um. Do you like it? No. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I liked, um, I liked the Great British Bake Off. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. It's like very, you know, feel good. Yeah. I like when they say soggy bottoms and I like when, when, uh, when Paul Hollywood, I believe his name is, when he says, well done. 
I think it's really, it's iconic. <laughs> He's got those darting blue eyes. Does that feel like your own father is telling you, well done, Nick? No. Oh. No. So I just wanted to share something that I think everyone should check out. I always give like recommendations of new shows, too. Oh, good. Because I think, you know, TV is important. I always say there's not enough TV right In now. In sobriety, it's been a, a helpful tool. Um, so there's this new reality TV show on Netflix, actually, which is like, that's not a common thing. To, for them to like is it not no but they came up with the show it's called selling sunset and it's uh about this group of real estate agents and they are like the most successful ones in la and they're the ones that are selling all the homes in the hills mm. and uh so it's like it, it's kind of funny because it's owned by these two brothers they're twins and they're like short and bald and kind of like kind of seem kind of nerdy sure. but then all of the agents are like these smoking hot models they're models. Like super hot, just hot women. Just yeah. Oh, the agents are, are hot model women? Yeah. Cool. So which kind of <laughs> makes sense. You know, they're trying to sell these homes. Yeah, it's make, smart. Yeah, it is actually really smart. And it's just like crazy to to see these homes in the hills like up close. Because I, you know, drive by them and I'm always like, I wish I could li- like one day I'll, I want to live there. But you get to like see the inside and like they, you know share the price and the commission that these people make is like insane. It's like $200,000 commission. (sighs) And uh, then they have like, of course, drama with the agents, like, you know, with houses. And one of them is like 37 and engaged to this like 25 year old foreign guy. um, Cool. Who doesn't even speak English. So it's like, (laughs) it's really fun. And I just realized it's produced by the same guy that produced the show, the Hills. Mm. If you ever watch that, which is one of my favorite. I don't really know what it is. But you know, it was like very popular. You've probably heard of it. I've heard of The Hills. Yeah. So the show. It, it, it's like that good, in my opinion. What is The Hills, though? The Hills is actually, they're coming back. They're <laughs> doing a remake of it. But oh, it's, I'm excited. It's just about these like hot, rich kids in L.A. Mm. and their lives. And so now they're bringing back a lot of the characters and um, just going to follow them around, I guess, in their drama. Cool. Great. Cool. Thank you, Nick, for being here. Thank you for having me. And we'll see you next time.